Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 2 a.m. Campfire Club. Uh, I'm Reagan. I'm Madeline. And this week, it is just the two of us. Ethan is uh, indisposed. So we're going to have a great time, just the two of us talking about uh, LGBT issues and the church. Um, For those who don't know, the... Um, the topics for this show rotate, so um, each of the three of us, Madeline, Ethan, and I, um, change out who gets to pick the topic and kind of be in charge of the podcast for the week. And so this week, I am leading the conversation um, because this is an issue that affects me personally. I am both trans and bisexual. I'm gender fluid, which the way that I describe that is like my experience of my own gender fluctuates, which is kind of a vague descriptor, but uh, I'll kind of, I'll explain why I say it that way um, as we get into it a little bit more. Um, But the biggest thing is I am a Christian. Uh, I believe in God and I have grown up in the church my whole life. Um, So that is the biggest part of my identity. That is where I kind of believe everything else flows from is, is from God. And those three things, my, my queerness and my faith, I have been told that they should conflict with each other. Um, And that has always been a source of hardship for me. And I think while I love my church and while I love having grown up in the church and while I love my faith, I think the LGBT community and honestly a lot of social justice issues are where I have seen both in my own life and in wider society in the wider church that we have a tendency to fall short and um, not really be the church to certain segments of our population. So I just, I wanted to talk about my own experience growing up with that and kind of explain my deal and what I believe and why I believe it and what I see, what I've seen from the church. So we're going to get into a lot of very personal stuff about um, myself and my life and my trauma. Um, And a lot of that has been caused by Christians and by the church. So I don't want to be resentful or, or say anything out of resentment or cast any sort of hatred on anybody. But, you know, I some of these places where I'm speaking from are like hurt places. And so I just I hope everybody can listen with an open mind and an open heart and take into account what I have to say. That doesn't mean that you have to believe everything that I believe, but I wanted to share my story because I think, honestly, in a lot of the conversations that I've heard from people within the church on LGBT issues, the absence of actual queer people and actual queer voices within the conversation has been glaringly obvious and has led to blind spots. So like... Like, I I don't know. I feel like to me, it should be obvious that when you're talking about issues that affect certain groups, that people within those groups should be the 
people that you go to. <laughs> yeah, not just like, oh, hey, I'm going to ask this random, like, we'll just put it out here, like a random white straight guy, you know, the basic thing, like, you're not, like, I don't want to talk to them about queerness or anything like that, because I'm like, you obviously don't know what you're really talking about. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, it's like, it's just yeah. one of those things where it's just like, well, why would I ask you when I also have this other source that's probably a lot more educated than you that I know? So it's, and I feel like that's I'm not like hating on churches here, but it is a lot of people that I feel like that they don't know what they're talking about, but like when they do talk about it, it just doesn't feel correct. Cause you're like, why? are you explaining it? Like, like, I'm not trying to hate on people, but it's like, you might know a lot about it. I don't know. But it's like, I feel like the person that has gone through it should be talking about it sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah, it makes more sense. I think oftentimes it's kind of treated as a theological issue rather than like a mm-hmm. people issue. Yeah. Which, I mean, can be a problem in many ways that like the church talks about many different issues it's it's so depersonalized and uh-huh. it's treated as something that's like out there um and like sort of a philosophical theological discussion when it's like no like this is reality for a lot of people and probably uh-huh. people who are in the room so welcoming them into feeling like they're able to speak up and say their own experience experiences is like it's so important and and that doesn't mean that like you have to agree you know like with this issue you don't have to agree with every uh queer person or or, you know on these issues like uh, like there's differences of opinion you know and that's not that's like not to say that people who like with this issue people who it's not to say that straight people or cis people aren't allowed to have an opinion Uh but if to, to have a truly informed opinion, you you need to go to the source. Um, yeah. So that's kind of what I wanted to do here was like as a, a both a Christian and a you know out and proud queer person. Like I wanted to contribute my own voice to it because that is something that is sorely lacking, and I think there's this polarization between like the queer community and Christianity because so, or maybe not even so many of us, but probably all LGBT people, at least in the West, have been severely hurt by um, Mm -hmm. the church and by the rhetoric that is often peddled within the church. So that was kind of a long preamble to basically, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about like the theology of the anti-LGBT movement within the church and why I think it's kind of flawed. And I don't want to talk about like, I don't want to just talk about the verses that are kind of said to be against homosexuality because I feel like those have been so thoroughly like debunked with like, oh, it's a translation error that more would would more accurately be described as pedophilia or you know historical context or all that stuff like I feel like most of that stuff like if you you can google it and basically find yeah it'd be like the spark notes of the bible basically about (laughs) what people think about it yeah like most of that stuff 
like that was the earliest stuff that when I was truly looking for answers on these questions like that stuff I found immediately and a lot of those conclusions I came to like on my own and then afterwards found people who were saying the same things of like hang on like you know like in the verse in Leviticus this is like man shall not lie with man I was like but like this is Leviticus we don't take everything that Leviticus says at face value so what is the historical context oh well that was a common you know that was a common practice of temple prostitution Mm -hmm. and you know so all this stuff and so like I don't want to I don't want to go through like every verse in the bible that is like the decided against homosexuality because there's like six of them which is not that many yeah but you know that's not what I'm here to do I want to talk specifically about what the the general view of gender within the church and how that influences our discussions on sexuality um because i feel like that is so much more deeply rooted and much more complicated so here i'll just start i'll start from the beginning um growing up within within the church and honestly within wider society I had just kind of I kind of heard that it was bad to be gay and you know didn't really think that much of it but I never had that like intuitive like gut feeling of like oh this is sin like you know like you come face to face with sin like usually you know it's wrong on some like intuitive level um but I never really you know I saw like gay people on tv or whatever and I was never like disgusted by it um yeah but and like so I I didn't really start but I didn't really start like actually critically thinking about it until about like middle school and that was it was middle school that was the first time that I had ever come in like encountered like trans people at all like that was the first time I really encountered Mm -hmm. the concept um because, like, you know, I, I, I've always felt very, like, alienated from my own gender. And so I never really thought about it. So, and then, like, as I started to be introduced to a uh, more complete, like, understanding of gender, then that's when I kind of started questioning for myself, like, am I trans? So, and, you know, all of that time, I think what was what I was really unraveling was less like you know because there's like there's no point in the bible where it says like don't be trans like there's no verse in the bible like that was not a concern that the bible was you know the the authors of the bible had that they were trying to address and it's the same thing with like abortion that wasn't a thing back then so we can't you know, we can't just look directly to the Bible and say, oh, this is what it has to say about this. You know, mm-hmm. we have to have an, we have to go in with an informed and understanding, you know, but a godly understanding that does, you know, is influenced by scripture um, when we look at these modern issues. And I think, I think honestly with sexuality, it's kind of the same way. Like, like gender and sexuality are kind of, are two separate issues but they're very like they're inextricably linked 
um, especially with, I think, the way that we talk about it in the church, because, like, typically what I've heard is basically, you know, the, the Christian version of marriage, true marriage is like one man and one woman, um, because God created man and woman distinctly to marry, um, and they are you know, uh, the marriage between a man and a woman is supposed to represent the relationship between God and his church. The problem that I have with that is, well, I mean, it's just, it's just reductive. Um, because like, I don't think that, I don't think that any Christian actually believes that it is a moral imperative to get married in the first place. Obviously, like we, there are plenty of people you know, who choose to be unmarried, who choose to be celibate, who are considered holy, you know, priests, monks, nuns, (laughs) Paul. (laughs) Um, And also that is not the example that was actually shown to us within the Bible. So we don't believe as a church that like, that heterosexual marriage is required to be complete right like we we just flat out don't think that and so if you're going to argue that you know marriage is between a man and a woman you have to argue that there is something intrinsically intrinsic within you know the two genders within the two sexes that makes that like gives them a different role within a marriage and that that is special to that uh, sex. And, you know, I don't know how you do that without like getting into some very like sexist territory without being like, yes, uh, men do, you know, they do the work and they give the orders and uh, they take care and are the protectors of the women and the women are submissive and do the housework and raise the babies and all of that stuff, which like historically the church has said, but that's something that I don't think, well, an embarrassingly large number, a large amount of the church still does think that, but like generally I don't think there's nobody that I know personally. And there's, I don't think, you know, that's not something that our church subscribes to. So but that is kind of a, a version of gender that that the Bible outlines. Like, like so the way that I see it, I mean, gender is a social construct. Like, it's something that only exists because we decide it exists. It's something that we created um, yeah. to serve a function. And I think it's important to look at the historical context of the Bible and see the function um, that it served at the time, because society back then looked very different than it does now. Um, And, you know, like I was reading first Peter the other day and I was doing devotions and I was like, you know, waking up and like, yes, I want to start my day with some good godly words. And then it was basically like women need to be submissive and all this stuff. And it was just like, I was just like, okay. And you're just like, 
This okay. is a great start to my Guess day. Guess we're doing that today. Whole, whole lot of misogyny. <laughs> and yeah, you know, I'm. And then you wake up the next morning. You're just like, don't know if I feel like doing that again. We'll, we'll wait a little bit. I don't. Yeah, I was. I was just, like very upset at Peter. <laughs> um, I know, and because it's like, um, wait, why did you say that? Uh, and but it's I honestly think, that's how it worked. Yeah, exactly. Like, and I think I'm not somebody who believes that the Bible is infallible. Uh, mm-hmm. I would say the majority of the Christian church believes, especially like, like evangelicalism. I'll speak to evangelicalism. Like, one of the tenets of the evangelical church is that the Bible is completely true and good. Like everything that is said in the Bible is either like historical fact or like correct in some like emotional or um like reasonable sense so if a bible if the bible says this is how something is then that's how it is and i don't think that that's true um i don't think that yeah i just i flat out do not there's no tangible evidence that i've seen that that you know that god uh, divinely inspired the writers of the bible to speak nothing but exact truth. And in fact, there is evidence against that. Um, mm-hmm. There are contradictions within the Bible. There is historical inaccuracy. And I mean, straight up, like things that are commanded within the Bible practically don't work and aren't good. Um, and so yeah. I I don't, I mean, I've seen like people, accuse other people like people who don't think that the bible is infallible of being cherry pickers or just like oh because you don't think everything's true you're just going to take out the bits that you like and i i don't think that that's true honestly because what i see for people who believe in biblical infallibility is they take everything at face value until they can't justify it anymore like you know until they're incredibly sexist or like oh, the Bible's justifying slavery, and then they apply, then they think, okay, now it's time we need to bring in historical context, we need to talk about, you know, we actually need to be critical and, and, and apply these um, critical lenses to it, whereas, you know, when I read the Bible, I'm always applying that critical lens, like, I always want to know, mm-hmm. you know, the perspective of the person who is, writing it, the perspective of the society that uh, they came from and, you know, the power dynamics at play, the same, you know, that's the same way that I would really any historical source. So Mm -hmm. that's a big part of, you know, what has influenced my beliefs, especially on this issue, because I feel like if you, if you truly believe every word of the Bible is good and correct and should be applied throughout all of history you're gonna come away believing some pretty wrong-headed things um and i can't really yeah. argue people out of those things from the perspective of biblical infallibility because i can't say that the bible doesn't say that stuff like it just straight up does but you know i can i can argue from the perspective of historical context and so i think you know, looking at the Bible and like talking, you know, with those that verse in First Peter that I was talking about. Hang on, let me see if I can just find it and I will read it. Okay, 
Likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of your hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of your heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Which is also just flat out not true. Sarah did not yeah. obey Abraham. She was like, <laughs> you literally uh, actually, no thanks. <laughs> She was the one who went, yo, Abraham, can you come sleep with my servant, please, so that we can have a kid? And he was like, I don't know about yeah. all that. And, he, and she's like, do it. <laughs> it's like he had to do a double take. He's like, wait, what? So, when, I just, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and so, like, I, I don't, I can't justify that. Like, I can't say, like, like that's very clearly... Like, that's such a dude thing to say. I'm going yeah, to say it. Yeah, it really <laughs> is. Like, <laughs> like, I'm not trying to be rude, but it is. But I cannot We're imagine out. that if, you know, that a book of the Bible written by a woman would say anything like that. But I think this illustrates a very good point is, like, if, you know, looking at gender from the perspective of a social construct with a function, this, I think, very clearly illustrates the way that gender functioned in that society. Like, women had a specific role of submissive submissiveness, and men had a specific role as well. And I think over time, you know, as society, as wider society changed, as our economic systems changed, as as things changed our understanding of gender changed like i think a very practical example of that is like you know the women's rights movement of the early 20th century was very much fueled by the by the world wars because there was an economic need for women to work and so those advocating for women to work outside the home suddenly gained a lot more traction because Mm -hmm. there was an economic incentive and now that's normal and even the people who want to roll back women's rights don't think that women shouldn't have paying jobs um so it's just if if we look at so i i want to like look at gender from a couple different perspectives um because there is so much that goes into it but like as a social as a social role of man and woman that you know we've had for thousands of years like it's something that is inf- is is primarily influenced through the societal expectations right it is and since it's something that exists only within the general vibe of society's rules, we can change our understanding of gender. Like we can choose consciously to say, look, this is something that doesn't work for people. Um, You know, a 
pretty statistically significant segment of the population is going, this is like a harmful thing for us. And we can say, look, that's, we're just going to choose not to view gender that way. We're not, we're going to choose not to view it as a binary. We're going to choose not to have these specific roles. And honestly, I wouldn't even say like, it's just a like our, our current understanding of gender isn't just a problem for trans people. It's a problem for basically everyone. Yeah. So, you know, I, it ca- it's a source of a lot of anxiety for cis people as well. And so I would say it would be a net benefit to, you know, stop understanding gender as, you know, girls wear dresses and, and men wear pants and and yeah you know all of the stuff is just like I think society would be significantly improved if we got to a point where we didn't view gender as a significant like signifier of yeah much of anything but like a significant factor in anything because it's like you know jobs gender has that you know it's like oh well this isn't always the case, but sometimes in some workplaces that are primarily white men working in them, and, you know, you have a white woman and a white man. I don't really care. Like, they're the same to me. But let's just say that she would have more credentials, but, and, like, he doesn't. I still feel like they're like, oh, but he's a man. So and I just feel like that's where it comes into play, and that's why it really bothers me. And they're like the same thing with like skin color. Yeah, and I think I've been kind of skirting around it, but like gender primarily exists as a vector of oppression. Like yeah. that's what that has been a significant portion of its function throughout most of history has been a means of oppressing women and keeping men in power. Um, mm-hmm. And it's impossible to talk about without addressing that. And mm-hmm. it's, that's, it's such a heavy topic that I don't really want to get into. Yeah. I don't have a lot of authority to speak on that issue. Um, but, like, so I would say that gender abolition, or at least an evolving of our current understanding of gender has a lot more stakes than just trans people. You know, it, it yeah. has, you know, it's, it's not just about me going, I feel uncomfortable when people assume I'm a woman and put me in female spaces. It also mm-hmm. has to do with these gendered forms of oppression that women have to go through every day. And I mean, misogyny in patriarchy negatively affects men too like there are ways that um men are uniquely affected like how statistically men are just less likely to win uh custody suits uh for children because women are assumed to be more necessary um to a child's life like mothers are assumed to be more necessary and more nurturing and and you know more of an essential uh, part of a child's life than a father, which yeah. it, it, it's just flat out not true. Like, anyways, so, you know, men are more likely to commit suicide. Men are more likely to be imprisoned. Men are more 
likely to die in wars. And those are all gendered issues, the same as, you know, the fact that women are more likely to be sexually assaulted and sexually harassed, uh, the fact that women are discriminated against in the workplace, and, you know, all of these other things. These are gendered issues, and these things need to be addressed um, as part of the package as well. So I would say, you know, the church should be a part of that, like both in terms of bringing, bringing forth women uh, and encouraging them and uh, working for their liberation, but also I would say dismantling uh, some of the gendered ways that we do things within the church, like, like a really practical example, like our youth group, it, our connect groups are separated into uh, boys groups and girls groups, and then like they're all they're separated by grade, uh, with the upperclassmen and then the sophomores and freshmen, and then uh, boys and girls. So there's six groups in total in our high school uh, youth group, and and what that does is. And I've been uh, kind of pestering leadership about this for years is like it, it really uh, prevents an opportunity for cross-gender relationships in any meaningful yeah. or intimate way. And I think that that's really unfortunate because I have not been able to get to know, you know, uh, most of our male peers because of that because there's just been no opportunity to talk uh, with them in any serious capacity or to get to know them or to become friends with them within the youth group itself and I think that's a real shame um yeah however yeah because like you look at our friend group and you see me you and Ethan honestly because it was just the three of us and we were like okay and then we're all you know we're here and we're doing this and honestly that's one of the best friendships that have come out of the our youth group for me because it was just like being allowed to just like not only just communicate with each other but like share experiences and not like in like an intimate friendship way yeah. that normally doesn't really get to happen all that much because it's like oh but like girls and guys are so different so like we just don't want to like make them uncomfortable but it's like those uncomfortable questions that is the stem of friendships like you you have to answer those or else it it just simply doesn't work yeah and i yeah and i i don't want to be like yes they should just completely stop doing gendered groups because i under, like we still live within a gendered world like i think we have to live with that reality and mm -hmm. honestly i didn't understand until like this month like how deeply terrified many women are of men for like legit yeah. reasons because so many women have suffered you know some form of sexual harassment or sexual assault and not been just you know been mistreated by men by men in like that's just so common um <laughs> and so i i don't i don't want to like I don't want to force it upon anyone. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to put women in a situation where they are, you know, forced into uh, 
circumstances that they feel are unsafe or mm-hmm. anything like that. But I think there are steps that I think we need mm-hmm. to take and probably practical steps that we can take within our own church um, yeah. to kind of break down the walls that I see um, between men and women and mm-hmm. actually facilitate those cross-gender relationships so that we are encouraging a more just en- encouraging men to be better and encouraging a more integrated society with you know yeah. respect between genders and i think that has the very very good bonus of um being more inclusive to people like me who don't fit within the gender binary and kind of feel uncomfortable having to exist within these like very gendered spaces where it's like, I don't feel like I fit quite right anywhere. Um, yeah. Like, I don't feel like anyone should be forced to have to choose. Like there's, yeah. there's more than just well, two options. Yeah. Well, and you know, even practically, like I remember just a couple of weeks ago, like Ethan was saying how he doesn't really like his group and you know he's very close friends with everybody in our group and I was like you know you like, should what just, join, just our join our group like, yeah, like it was a joke but it's also like why not like, yeah, like practically like there's Ethan. no reason I'm for like, him not you know like we're we're all so comfortable with him that it, it like I don't think there would be a problem like I don't yeah like the the reason that it's weird is like oh but it's a girls group yeah and it's like but it doesn't need to be a gendered space really practically like there's no reason for it to be be that way and like I'm in that group and I don't think about it most of the time because I'm just like oh yeah yeah, these are my friends um it's because we love you for you and like you don't care like I can tell you that everyone in our group and like specifically our group because I know them the best but like we all don't care like not that we don't care about the issues but it's like you can be whatever you want and honestly we're just gonna be here to talk about it like if like honestly that's what I like about our group is that we can just talk about everything and we can share experiences and views and not get like offended be like oh you like really hurt me but it's like yeah those things might hurt but then you get to know what the others are feeling through that, you know, hard talk, which eventually does help your friendship grow stronger, which is why I love our group so much, because we're not afraid to be vulnerable and talk about the things that are really hard. Yeah. And I and I appreciate like Nicole and Jess like like facilitating that too. Just being like, if you guys have anything, like just just call me. Like you guys have my number. Like I'm free anytime and honestly them and like our whole group just being open all the time it's just like helped me become a better person in general like being able to like share hard things with a group of people that you really care about and then them just being willing to accept it and yeah. no hardships yeah and i think i wish that our youth group would facilitate those situations between genders too like that's something I mean I don't think I don't think men and women are necessarily trained to be vulnerable with each other yeah like because growing up like everything's so gendered and I think you know the church 
should and does have a unique role in facilitating relationships. Um, and I think we should focus on that because that's important. It's like training, you know, training people to training men and women to be able to have relationships with each other and be vulnerable with each other and be, be able to respect each other in a platonic setting is yeah. so important and something that we don't honestly get a lot because it's like, you know, we're, we're kind of taught that mm. we can't, like men and women can't interact with each other without like romantic, without romantic or sexual things getting in the way. And that's just yeah. not true. And yeah, like I have plenty of close guy friends that I'm like, yeah, they're, that's them and we're friends and it's cool. And it's like, if, and it's, I don't know about you, but it's like, I always crave having like guy friends because it's, it's also like another perspective on other things. And it just, it kind of helps you be more aware of more situations. And honestly, just having guy friends is pretty fun too, because I don't know, they're just, not that guys and girls are very different, but the way we've grown up, guys and girls have grown up differently because of, you know, uh, I was talking to some of my guy friends actually earlier today, and they were like, we were talking about like the whole, like how women are like, some of them are genuinely scared of men. And I was like, yeah, like we were taught to like, never wear like really short skinless things like you shouldn't wear that because then that means you're asking for it like you should always be careful like you always have to look around and they're like we were never told any of this and I'm like yeah so honestly and it's also just like I like being there to help them with stuff like that too without it being weird mm-hmm. and it's, it's just and and you can't you can't facilitate those sorts of discussions without first establishing relationships and yeah that's something that's something that's been so discouraging. Like I've I've seen some men like respond to the Me Too movement with like, oh, okay, well, I'll just never be alone in a room with a woman because that means that it's impossible for me to do anything without witnesses and it's impossible for her to accuse me of anything falsely because, you know, because I'll just never be alone in a room with a woman. And I'm like, that's... Like, that's not so not. That is so not the point. You cannot have an actual, you cannot, you can't gain understanding without first facilitating relationships. Like you can't, Mm -hmm. men can't understand the things that women are actually going through without talking to them and like Mm -hmm. truly and truly being safe for women so that they can understand women's fears. Cause like, yeah, like women just don't assume men to be safe like they have to establish themselves because in women's experiences what we've been taught and what we and what like what women have experienced has rightfully like made them feel that you know men cannot be trusted unless they are have established themselves as being safe and so kind of once I understood that because like I've never had I've never had any like really negative experiences with men. Like, you know, I've been mansplained to or whatever, but like I've never had any of that those sort of experiences that have made me think that. I've never been around I, I you know, I've I've never had to be around people who I felt were unsafe or like be in situations where I felt unprotected. So like once I understood that 
how truly scared many women are like i i understood a lot of transphobia better honestly i was like because so much of the like fear mongering has been around like men and women's spaces you know like there you know if we let trans women into the bathrooms then we're just letting men in to be able to sexually assault us or whatever and i was just and that never that's just that's fundamentally not true and very transphobic but like I finally understood the fear that that was playing off of and like, you know, it made me a lot more sympathetic. So yeah, it's like, so, so many of these issues are like, they're not really biblical. They are societal. Like, yeah, these, these things come from the culture and Mm -hmm. generally like as Christians, a very common thing is, that we're told is like we're not supposed to be of the world we are supposed to be of god and it's really really easy for the world to infect our understanding of god and like you know we 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 read the bible with our experiences influencing our interpretation and so it's really really important to be critical of what you actually of how general ideas from society are interfering with your interpretation of God. Because, you know, we think of God as gendered male, but that's not actually accurate. That's not, that's not how God is actually described in the Bible. You know, the God is, is, you know, metaphors for God are, are, you know, God is seen as a father, but also a mother, you know, Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I like to think of God not just like as like a he, him, she, her, but more just as a being in general. God is... Like they, they, they are just there. Yeah. Like like it's hard to explain without using pronouns, but... Yeah, I typically try to, when I talk about God, I try to change the pronouns that I use depending on the situation so Mm -hmm. like in general reference I'll use they them but if I'm talking about like a specific role of God I might use like specific pronouns depending on like for example when I think of uh God like God the father like when I think of God as a parent I usually use like she her pronouns because I my uh nurturing relationship was with my mother mostly so it you know so i think that that's that's really an important thing to hit on is like god exists beyond gender like god exists outside of gender but they also created gender so you know or maybe it would be more accurate to say that humans created gender but god created sex like he created um humans with these varieties of bodies and body types and all of this stuff so like and created us with different psychology and and all of these things that in a way like these varieties of genders you know uh people kind of hate on non-binaries like you know all these made-up genders or whatever but Mm -hmm. like this variety is actually reflective of god um yeah it is reflective of the vastness and the diversity of god and i think that that's a very beautiful thing um, you know, I think something that I see Christians do a lot is like really expressing that there's only like 
one or, or, or a few ways to be holy. Like this idea that it's, you are the gender that, you know, your parents, you know, that the doctor says you are, and then you have to grow up and, and get married to the opposite sex or stay single for the rest of your life. And those are the only ways to be holy. It's just like so fundamentally against the glory of God because you're, you're, li- you're, you're limiting God. Like by saying, by limiting God's church, you are saying that there is only one way to reflect God. And mm-hmm. there, that, you know, if we are supposed to be the reflection of God, then you are you are fundamentally narrowing God into this very specific view, this very specific Western heterosexual understanding of God that you know is counter to what we see. Um, what we see outlined in the Bible is that, like, as a church, we are called to be diverse. We are called to be multi-ethnic, multicultural have all these these different expressions of God because God is so great, you know. So I think that being able to be, you know, being different from the norm and being different from what what the powerful and what the authorities say that you're supposed to be is a very Christian thing. <laughs> that's something that we saw in Jesus's life. That's something that we saw that's something that we see throughout history is is a rebellion against tradition um, mm-hmm. to go after a more full understanding of God. And that's something that I think I was raised in a little bit. Um, like my parents, particularly my mom, was always very big on like questioning narrative like questioning these sorts of you know questioning what the church tells you what your pastor tells you like really dig in for yourself because I think largely because my mom was very non-traditional um in very specific ways my parents divorce had a big influence on that because she felt so abandoned by church people during and after and you know those those people were summit like that was summit that was her church and so she kind of had to she had to go against the grain like she had to be able to strike out on her own and create her own faith and forge her own path because she wasn't getting any support from the church and so I think she raised us in that and unfortunately for her (laughs) that, that caused my sister and I to gain some ideas and beliefs that she doesn't really like (laughs) Um, and that scare her a bit and so we've kind of talked about the the social element of gender like the the way that it functions as a societal construct and like how we perceive people and how it influences um our thinking in that regard but like I think there are so many different facets of gender of like what we call gender. But honestly, it's kind of a nonsense word because because like in a lot of ways we're also talking about psychology and presentation. I mean, like literally just fashion and um, biology and all of the stuff. Um, 
and philosophy, I mean, it's kind of, it's a very philosophical thing. And so I think like the reason why I say, rather than saying like my gender changes, which sounds kind of trite, like that's why I say my experience of my gender changes, because in so many ways it feels like it's happening to me where it's like mm-hmm. the things that fluctuate, like, or how I want to be perceived socially, but also how I feel about my body. And, you know, and there's like genuine psychological stuff going on, uh, you know, cause I experience dysphoria and all, all of this stuff like changes so much that it is, it's really hard to explain. And I think it's really hard to quantify in a way that cis people can understand like because I've noticed with a lot of stuff like there's so many times where I've seen with like these various labels people be like I don't know what it means but I'm that (laughs) you know like where it's like you know you can't you can't quite put it into words but being able to have something that just kind of intuitively makes sense with your own experience and and that's kind of why I decided to start identifying with the term gender fluid is like, like I kind of, I had known I was non-binary for a long time. Like I knew that I wasn't a woman, like that, like that just didn't, that just wasn't me. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah. So I think, I think that's, that's one of the hardest things. Cause like, because trans people are fighting for civil rights right now. Like we want to have, most people don't believe we exist. Like most people think yeah. that we're lying or that we are attention seeking or that we're just mentally ill or whatever. And it's like, it's really hard because we don't have like a concrete like explanation. Like it's, I, mm-hmm. I can't just say, I can just say like, this is what is going on concretely. And here mm-hmm. is like, you know, there's studies, like there is, that's not to say that there's no science to it. Like there have been, scientists have been looking into the like effects of hormones in the womb and all of this stuff. And like the general scientific consensus, like the anthropological consensus is that trans people exist. That's just, that's a fundamental fact, but that's not really, like when you're trying to convince someone that like I would say kind of the worst feeling in the world is having to justify your own existence to someone. And yeah. it's so much worse when you can't really explain yourself to them. And I think, yeah. I think that's why I, I've noticed a lot of trans people like myself included tend to fall back on like our pain and talking about like, yeah. dysphoria because that feels that's like a concrete thing that we can point to like you know you can you can deny all of this stuff but how, like how can someone tell me that like I'm not suffering from this real like medical but I don't think that dysphoria is what makes someone trans um, and I think that can kind of be the unfortunate implication of that line of thinking of like people using their dysphoria as kind of the proof. Um, I don't think, like, I don't define myself by my pain. You know, I think our identity is from relationship. Like, I think that that's where identity primarily comes from. And so I don't want to give that implication. Like, I think the 
pain is a symptom, right? Like I, pain is a symptom of that is something given a, to us by God to let us know that the world is broken. Like there's something wrong within us, ourselves and within the world. Um, and we experience pain as a result of that. And so like when I experience dysphoria, it's because the way that people are perceiving me or, or acknowledging me is wrong. Like, or there is something wrong within my body that like I need to change. Um, and so there's, there's like a social aspect and there's a psychological aspect and those two things kind of interact. Gender, my gender can be a source of joy as well. And I think that is, you know, in those moments where things, you know, I'm shown things as they should be like, but I think for a lot of trans people, like, especially myself recently, I've been going through a really rough time recently is like, the pain feels very real. Whereas I feel like the sources of joy are often kind of subjective and very superficial. And mm -hmm. so, you know, it's like, oh, <laughs> the person, the like, the backer at the grocery store, uh, there was a situation mm -hmm. where, like, I was wearing a mask and I think like she couldn't tell and so she was like have a good day sir or madam <laughs> I was like oh that, that was so sweet like you have no like, idea how, how happy that I'm like, yeah like, you know or just like certain clothes or like the way that I look and, like mm -hmm. those things are often seen as vanity so that's that's a really hard it, it, it's really hard to argue that logically because it's so personal and it's so emotional. And that's something I think for myself has been a huge source of pain is like, I really desperately want to be taken seriously. Like I'm a very prideful person inherently. Like I um, that is probably one of the biggest sins that I struggle with is like, I just want people to respect me and like me and take me seriously. And so uh -huh. it's, really hard to be like yes this is a pretty fundamental piece of who I am I can't explain it to you I can't justify it to you you're just gonna have to take me take my word for it and a lot of people don't and I have to put my faith in God and know like I have to practice not caring what those people think and that's really hard yeah um because you know I just I so want to be validated like I just want to yeah I just want people to validate me and I'm, I'm like I'm such a people pleaser and I mean like you know it took me so long to tell people I think like that I was trans especially because I mean I guess technically it took me a lot longer to tell people I was bi but also I wasn't sure for a while but like when I told you guys for the first time um at camp and it was just it was such a horrible situation because first of all, I didn't even say I was bi. I was like, I said, so we were telling our like stories, you know, that like yeah. that we had to uh, like our life stories basically. Mm -hmm. And I was just, I think I said something like, and then I realized that I was attracted to women as well as men and then just moved on like as fast as possible because I didn't want to talk like, about yeah, it. Um. <laughs> and like, and no one reacted. And I was just like, and I felt so awful afterwards because 
I didn't even like come out as bisexual. Like I, I, like the way that I said it was worded so ambiguously that like I could have just been saying like I could have been expressing that as like a struggle rather than like something that I was proud of because I wasn't proud of it. Like I was, I was still very ashamed to tell people because I didn't know how they would react, even though like I didn't think it was a sin. And then afterwards. Um, our leader at the time, like we were in Chick-fil-A, like on the bus ride home and she and I were sitting at a table and she was like, you know, like we've got other people uh, in the youth group who are struggling with that sort of thing. So if you ever need to talk, and I was just like, in my mind, I was like, I'm never, I'm never coming to you about this. I'm never talking to you about this ever. (laughs) Yeah. Nope. And so. And you were like, actually, we're just going to Turn around and walk the other way. Thank you. We're going to back up and just, like, not address that for years. Forget that happened. Yeah, it was was real bad. And so I think that kind of, I don't know. I think, and, like, none of the actual group themselves reacted in any way. It's just like, I'm just going to forget about this and not bring it up. Uh, And then... I just kind of rolled with it because I didn't know, like, you wanted to talk about it. So I was just like... Okay. Yeah, exactly. Like, and like, I, I, didn't, like, I didn't say it in a way that invited <laughs> conversation. And yeah. so nobody wanted to talk about it. Like I was just, I totally skimmed over it. And I was just, yeah. So, but I mean, I still haven't, I still haven't told my family that I'm bi. Like I, I've told my sister and I've sort of told my stepmom. I don't know if she actually heard me. <laughs> You're just like, so we're just yeah, going to guess you did. So, like, all, all, like my, my sister and my step-siblings know, and, like, a lot of my friends know, but none of the rest of my family knows because I don't know how to bring it up. Like, I, I just don't. Yeah, like, I get it. I, whereas with, like, like, when I came out as trans, like, the first, like, I came out to my sister and I came out to some of my friends, and I was kind of forced to come out to my mom because she had made some comment about some of my friends who are trans and I just, I started bawling like, and I could not stop for multiple hours. And she was like, what is going on? What is wrong with you? So I kind of had to tell her otherwise I would have just been lying to her straight up. And I was like, this is the situation. Like this is the scenario in which it's relevant. So I should say it. And it was not a good time. Uh, reactions have been mixed to say the least like I I definitely have not gotten the support that I think I need Um, because like if my parents were accepting there would be a lot of things that I would do like I would totally be like like if I could I would want to go on like hormone blockers and stuff until I was an adult and could actually get like testosterone and take take some steps to to have a real medical transition um but i'm not going to bring that up to my parents because there's no way that they would and at this point i'm old enough that it's kind of like it's it's too late and i'll just wait till i'm an adult and financially independent anyways but you know and it's it, and it just it it wasn't just the stuff that came, that i needed after i came out and like after i discovered these things about myself it was you know everything that happened 
before then. Like every, the way that I grew up and the way that I was raised and the things that I was taught were <laughs> contributed to so much shame. And that's stuff that I'm still undoing. Like, you know, I talked about <laughs> the other day how much like uh, the the phrase like love the sinner, hate the sin, it gets thrown around. And like, it's important like that people remember when you talk about these issues that you think are like out there or some somehow abstract or like away from you, like there are potentially people around you, queer people, queer children, like your child might end up being gay. Like that's definitely yeah. a possibility. And you need to actually think about what you're saying and what you're exposing them to because I mean that kind of like you know I was never I was never faced with like outright hate or anything but I was told like basically yeah we're gonna be I was I was told by my family and by people within the church that we're gonna be loving and accepting of you hypothetical queer person but Mm -hmm we're not going where we hate the sin you know what what we perceive as a sin which is actually a part of who you are and so you know even though that wasn't being said directly to me what i as a child internalized is like okay if i want to be loved by everybody basically i have to project a version of myself that is acceptable to them because they don't love me right yeah and that contributes to so much self-hatred and so much shame and you know you wonder why i have vulnerability issues like i can't (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's i mean it is really hard when like you get told that as a child and you're just like oh well guess i gotta pretend now and I'm to repress <laughs> <laughs> yeah and I you know and I think that that's it's I feel like I'm in kind of a weird situation because I really I was never in a position where I was like where I intellectually like once I actually thought about these things like once I actually thought about you know, once I kind of tackled the the homosexuality like issue, um, when I really started thinking about my personal faith and when I started thinking about politics, you know, I kind of immediately accepted that it wasn't a sin and, um, mm-hmm. like, and I intellectually knew that, but you know, I still had all of that internalized shame. So that was a really weird position to be in because for years and even still kind of now I'm in this position where I'm like well I don't believe I'm doing anything wrong I don't think any of this stuff is wrong but everybody else does so for me honestly like expressing dissent is kind of harder than expressing my sins right it's really hard to talk about like things to do with my sexuality or with my gender in the church and and um, amongst church people because I know that the the place where we're operating from um, is often two completely different places where like I'm just talking about something in my life like a very practical just like yeah this is a thing that is going on with me 
and whoever I'm talking to may or may not perceive it as a sin. And Mm -hmm. like, I don't, I really, there's, there's just so, I don't know, there's something so heartbreaking to me about like that situation is because I don't, I don't know what to, I don't know. I just want, I just want people to to like me and love me. (laughs) Just, but yeah and so what I've been dealing with I think especially in the past year is going through this process of like really truly letting my self-worth come from God and letting mm-hmm. letting my identity flow from God and not from other people's validation and that's been really that's been really hard because it's kind of it's involved distancing myself emotionally from people you know from family members and and stuff like that and just I you know being able to like putting put more stock in the people who actually will love me and support me has been a hard but important process and Mm -hmm. yeah like when when I came out as trans to our friend group that was so like that was so validating you know even even though it wasn't everything but like just to have you guys be like yeah cool we're gonna support you is like so was so relieving because just the the not knowing you know meant that I was operating as if you guys weren't going to accept me and therefore I was I was keeping a distance you know I was keeping this distance that didn't need to be there so I you know I would say if uh, cis people and, and straight people and just like I guess kind of everybody like if one thing that you can take away from this is like create environments where people feel safe um, because that that is such a huge thing it's just being able to truly feel like you are not being judged and you're, you're being loved and supported truly by the people you are with is so powerful and I think as a church that is that is what we are called to be. I mean honestly when you came out I not that I wasn't surprised but I was like yeah she can like not that I knew that you were holding things back but it just felt it did feel like you were kind of like there were some topics where you just were like "Mm, mm, let's not talk about that right now so it's just like when you said it I was like oh that that makes a lot of sense and I feel like then you were able to really like be your true self without having to be like well I have to hide this from them and I need to make sure I don't slip up and like say something because I don't want something to like go wrong or anything and I feel like you also coming out helped me personally because I've been thinking about things and I'm like well how do I feel about my sexuality like what do I think and how do I feel? And I, and then I've come to the conclusion basically that I'm just like, I'm kind of just here and I'm moving my life and Mm -hmm. I'll figure it out as I go. I don't really know right now, but it's like, I'm here to just have fun. Yeah. And not cause any trouble. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like that's been kind of how I've felt. There have been certain points where I'm like, do you, should I, do I really, am I really bisexual or maybe I'm pansexual or like certain other things or like uh-huh. uh, am I like some form of ace or like the stuff and all this stuff and I'm like I don't really care yeah I I know I am queer and like 
when I say I'm bisexual, like that communicates what people need to know about me. It's like, you know, I yeah. like people, like my romantic feelings are not influenced by gender. And like when I say I'm gender fluid, that's that's the label that works for me right now. So I don't really care. You know, they're just words. And I think they are the yeah. most accurate descriptors I have at this point. And so yeah. I don't really care about like finding all of the specific labels that like really yeah. that say precisely who and what I am because like I just am what I am like <laughs> yeah I don't really care that much but you know the labels are helpful as part of an identifier of like a social identifier like so people understand what's going on with me and also <laughs> to identify myself with like a general struggle yeah um, you know, there's that, that C.S. Lewis quote that I think Zach says a lot where he, uh, it's like friendship begins when someone says, oh, you too? I thought I was the only one. And so yeah. it's like, I, I kind of felt like this imperative, like this conviction from God to come out for a long time because I was like, you know, because of that, like I was like, I, if I, if I'm out, like then other people can come to me. Like that's something that's so exciting. Like being able to have other uh, queer people, like other trans people, come to me is like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. Like I can I can support other people. Like that's so cool. That that's so that's so encouraging. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How many wedding rings out of ten are we gonna give this? I say your talk was a one hundred wedding rings out of ten. You get a hundred. Okay. I really have no idea what I just said. Hopefully, when we release this, it will prompt people to ask me questions. Yes. Because. Oh my gosh. I could put a question board up. <laughs> people can ask questions. Our five viewers. I guess that's it. Um, thank you, everybody, so much for listening. Um, if you have any questions and uh, you're on YouTube, then you can just leave those in the comments below. If not, you can probably hit up our Instagram. Heck yeah. Woop yeah. Woop. Okay. Hit up our Instagram then. Um, we're also now releasing episodes on Amazon as well as on Spotify and YouTube. So you can listen there if you so desire. Um, yeah, other than that, if you want to hear me talk more about these kind of loaded issues, you can visit my YouTube channel, uh, Reagan Eli Bartels. It's just my name. Uh, next week we are talking about Riverdale. Madeline. Yay! Be, Madeline's going to be talking about be Riverdale. Ready. I'm gonna I'm binge so excited. So I'm up to date. We're gonna talk all the things, all the things. I'm so It'll probably excited. mostly be on season one because that's most what they talked about. But we are gonna be talking about the other seasons and how ridiculous they do get. So listen in next time. Yeah, if if you like Riverdale, if you hate Riverdale, if you should you listen to it. If you don't know what Riverdale is and want to know what all the fuss is about, what all the kids are talking about, tune in. Tune in. Yeah. So. <laughs> Thank you for listening and come back next time.
Puchao. 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 Why am I? Oh my gosh. Why did I say Kachao? I think it's because I was thinking about cars. Eleni McQueen. Kachao. Bye. Bye.